Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 11 of Reen Our Voice. This is Robert Swatal. I'm one of your co-hosts for today. And as always with me, my other co-host, Jeff Mazzone. Jeff, welcome. How are you? Hey, Robert. Good morning. You know, just, just to get this in, because I got to get that Star Wars reference in at least every episode, we have officially surpassed the episode count of the Star Wars saga. Look at that. that yeah. That's a measure of success, right? right. And mean, some people might Wars not even is... consider the, you know, seven, eight, nine part of Star Wars at all. Right. So we right, definitely right. Right. We, crossed we, the we... line. <laughs> uh, always good to get a Star Wars reference. Yeah, right that's all I the got first for 10 today. seconds. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we're going to maybe do something a little bit different today that, that is a little different from our past episodes. And um, Jeff, I'm, if it's okay with you, I'm going to be a little bit kind of open and honest and vulnerable right out of the gate. And I think it'll tie into our guest today. Sure. Um, there's a verse that, that I've struggled with um, quite a bit. And I, I think, I think our listeners can relate to it as well. And it's James one, verses two through four, and it says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind, kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And I think the part, and, and I think we, our listeners are going to hear today is pure joy, not just joy, pure joy whenever we mm -hmm. face trials. And I don't know about you, Jeff, but that that isn't something that I think of right away when I when I face a trial. Oh, this is pure joy. You know, I think of other things. And so I, I hope that our, our listeners can relate to today and, and what we have uh, with our guest and, and her personal story, because I think it is uh, a perfect example of that verse. Would you mind introducing our guest today? Yeah, great. Dr. Alyssa Gavalich is a counselor, educator, psychotherapist, gold star widow, and grieving mother who has devoted years of her life to researching trauma and resilience. Dr. Gavalich has her PhD in counseling, education, and supervision from Liberty University and currently teaches there as an adjunct professor. She completed her dissertation on and has been part of several research teams that have investigated the various dimensions of resilience as they apply to a variety of life experiences and populations. Dr. Gavalik is also the director of Crosspoint Counseling Center in Niceville, Florida, a qualified supervisor, a licensed mental health counselor, and a licensed marriage and family therapist who specializes in resiliency, complex trauma, emotions, existential spiritual issues, personality and dissociative disorders, marriage and family therapy, military unique stressors, suicide assessment and prevention, forgiveness, and complicated bereavement counseling. Her expertise in these areas comes from her education and training, as well as her personal experiences of being a widow who lost her husband in a special operations military free fall parachute training accident, a mother who lost her two and a half year old daughter in an accidental drowning, a sister who lost her brother by suicide and lost another brother by homicide all within a two and a half year time period. Wow. Good morning, Dr. Gavler. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah, it is an honor to have you here. And, you know, we heard a little bit of your story there in the intro, but could you share a little bit more of your story and your journey of how you got to today, really? 
So I think that I have always been an individual who was very intrigued by resilience and how that manifests after different hardships in an individual's life. And in my pursuit of, you know, my academic um, career, I thought I would study resilience by being an overcomer. The part I wasn't expecting was that to be an overcomer and to demonstrate resilience, you have to go through the hardships that would make that possible. And the more I leaned into studying resilience, the more I so ironically got pulled into really leaning into and studying the experience of suffering. What I had not prepared for was to be going through those experiences while also researching and studying them. So I had initiated my academic career before I started going through these um, very significant subsequent losses. I had already gotten my master's degree from Liberty University and was practicing as a psychotherapist when I lost my husband in a parachute training accident. Very abruptly, I became a 33-year-old widow with six children. When I lost my husband, it was the first funeral that I had ever been to. The funeral I planned for him was the first one I had ever attended. So to say that grief and loss was something that I did not really have a conceptualization of is an understatement. So as I'm going through these losses, I'm immediately also challenged with how to make meaning out of these experiences. How do I show up inside of this loss in a way that demonstrates this resilience that I was so intrigued by? And I found that I, the most salient part of figuring out how to show up with true joy and resilience inside of suffering is to find meaning, find meaning in these experiences. So I decided to lean into that and I decided to go back and start my PhD process only six months after I lost my husband. And it had been something that we had discussed before he passed away as a pursuit that, you know, we both felt was very, um, you know, important to me and that he would support me through. And so, um, in fact, I was at my master's degree graduation and my husband had come to support me through the you know, graduation process and really celebrate all the work that that had taken. Um, I had six children, so I had taken one course at a time online through Liberty. The process took me six years. Um, I was a military spouse. I was supporting him through deployments and raising babies. And so, I mean, just that accomplishment in and of its own was, um, it felt just very important to him to celebrate with me. And 
And I remember us talking about the challenges of getting a PhD and the time and the energy and effort that it would take and the fact that, you know, we still had very small children and he was still um, very much involved in his special operations military career. And um, we walked over to the trunk of the car and he said, I have something for you. And he pulled out a, what looked like a frame and I unwrapped it. And he said, this is for your bachelor's degree. And then he pulled out another frame and I unwrapped it. And he said, this is for your master's degree. And I thought that that was it, but he reached in and he pulled out a third frame and I unwrapped it. And he had hand calligraphied Dr. Alyssa Gavulik, PhD. And it was just such a sweet gesture. It was his way of showing me that he would support me through that process. So after he passed away, um, I had this, this decision to make do i do i enter into that process as a widow knowing there's lots of balance between academic pursuit and you know being a widow raising six kids alone and it just felt right it felt like it was what i needed to do and um i remember talking to my financial advisor at that time and you know talking about how long it would take and how much work it would take and um, that it could take me up to five years. And I remember him saying, well, Alyssa, five years is going to happen whether or not you're pursuing a PhD. And that was enough. That was enough to, to let me know, all right, however long it takes, let's do this. So I entered into the academic process of getting my doctorate and supervision and it was about six months after I began that process that I tragically lost the youngest of my six children in a drowning accident. And I'll admit there was some sense of needing to pause and take the time that was appropriate for grieving such a deeply significant loss. And yet there was this other part of me that just knew that the best way to honor the people that I really loved was to live life forward. And so I remember going to an intensive six months after I lost my daughter and sitting and listening to Dr. Volk and just knowing that it was hard to be there, it was heavy, but it was where I was supposed to be. And so I continued those academic pursuits and chose my topics based on what was most salient to me and important to me. I really started looking into, you know, resilience and bereavement and resilience and trauma, because um, these were two really traumatic and uh, shocking losses. And I remember just sitting with Dr. Kirk at my next intensive, um, we had actually roomed together and telling her the night before our Thursday of a week long intensive with um, Dr. Hinson. I remember looking at her and saying, you know, I've experienced these two really complicated, challenging, difficult losses. And I, I feel like I understand the grieving process pretty well of being a widow and being a grieving mother. 
but I can't imagine what it might be like for others who, you know, might lose their loved ones in ways that aren't accidental. You know, I've never experienced suicide or homicide or anything like that. And I will never forget it was the next day. On a Thursday in my intensive with Dr. Henson that I got the call that my brother had taken his own life. And I just looked at Dr. Kirk and the shock obviously was on my face and and she was very important part of getting me to the airport so I could go and support my family through that additional loss. So it was about 11 months after that and I had still continued the pursuit of these courses and trying to complete the homework and um, choosing topics again that helped me understand the shock of loss um, when I found out that I had to face another grief, another loss, another funeral. When the youngest of my six siblings was murdered in a quadruple homicide that was covered up by arson. And research that I had done on forgiveness just came alive to me. That was my chance to, to really put into practice what I had written papers about was so important and healing in so many different individuals personal grief and bereavement processes and i think the way that i'm weaving this story together is very accurate it would be this process of reading and researching and studying and then living experiencing and applying and I really think that there's something about that layered, multifaceted, very experiential process that I believe makes me an expert in trauma and grief in ways that we cannot conceptualize without having had to endure. It's kind of like you you can understand conceptually that, you know, resilience is demonstrated by the belief that you can overcome it. But until you have had to walk through and stand on the other side of these types of experiences, being able to overcome is something you wonder, is that for everybody else? But can that happen for me too? And I'm here to tell you that whatever you're in, whatever you're experiencing, whatever suffering, whatever season that you are in, that you just get up and each day you try to do a little bit more than you did the day before. And there is another side. And guess what? Five years is going to happen, whether or not you're working on your doctorate degree. Dr. Gavi, like that, I can't even 
I'm struggling to put into words what I'm what I'm feeling. And just to start off, you know, my condolences first of all for for your losses. Um, as as a father and as a husband, I, I can't imagine um, that experience and that grief and that loss. And and to hear your story is just a, a powerful testimony and. I want to know, and I'm curious, what what were your conversations like with God during that moment? Was was there a was there an anger? Was there a bitterness? Was there a resentment? You know, how did that work out? Because I'm sure that that was a big part of both the the initial grieving process as well as the healing process. Could you just share kind of some of that dialogue and 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 what that meant to you as you worked through this journey? Absolutely. So I come from a family of believers and, you know, faith has been something that has always been very, very important to me, but faith is only conceptual until it has to be practical. And certainly when we go through very tragic, very shocking losses, our faith is going to be tested. And my cousin was so kind to send me a sermon series by Rick Warren called Getting Through What You're Going Through. And in that sermon series, he explores the scriptures and how there becomes apparent a pattern that David and the Book of Lamentations and Job starts to demonstrate. And that pattern is how we wrestle with God. It's how we wrestle with understanding the, the deep challenges, the sufferings, the hardships that are allowed to occur in our lives here on this, you know, broken planet. And the first step is that you cry out to God or even complain to God. It is not a sin to complain to God. It is a sin to complain about him. And so I cried out. I told him, Lord, this is too much. I, I, I've loved you, I've served you, I've been faithful to you. How could this be? And then you follow that with, the next step, which is acknowledging who God is and affirming his attributes. And so I would say, but God, you are God and you are benevolent. You are good. You are good at being God and you are omnisapient, which is more than omniscient, not just all knowing, but all wise. And you know how all of this weaves into your plan for me. And the next step is R, you remind God of his promises. You speak his scripture right back to him. And in fact, I have Isaiah 61, 3 and Romans 8, 28 on my precious daughter's headstone. And I would say to God, you know the plans that you have for me and you you say all things work together for good for those who love you and are called according to your purpose 
And the last step is that you, whether or not you feel it, express trust. And so I would say, Lord, and I'm trying to trust you. Lord, I want to trust you. Lord, I need to trust you. Lord, I'm willing to trust you. And I would go through those four steps, sometimes 50 times a day, because every time the agony would become overwhelming, I would need to cry out and complain. And then I would always follow it with acknowledging who God was, reminding him of his promises and expressing trust. And in that process of really wrestling with God instead of running from God, my relationship with him deepened and his love for me became so, so evident in those seasons and his care for me and the, the glory that might be demonstrated through my faithfulness to him and his faithfulness to me um, became such a beautiful part of the way that uh, my testimony unfolded in that really challenging season. Thank you uh, for your story and your, yeah, it's, it's just a real honor to sit and listen and share, to see you share. Um, but I, I was reminded of a song that I, that I often play when I lead worship and um, the lyrics are, in every season of my life, Lord, I will respond with love for you. Though there be testing, though there be trial, I will respond with love for you. But I don't think I've ever met anybody that can really put flesh to those words like you. I'm actually singing those uh, lyrics uh, on Monday and I'm gonna be thinking of you and praying for you and with you while I do that. You know, we're, as counseling students, as young professionals, maybe not age-wise like Robert, uh, but <laughs> uh, but at least young in terms of the career. And Robert's not old, everybody. He's like 70 or something like that. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. I, I deserve <laughs> that, though. I really do. What, what did you find helpful and not helpful from friends or maybe distant relations, colleagues, other students, what what was helpful and, and what wasn't? I actually get this question a lot. And I think it's because so many of us have such a heart to try to comfort the hurting or um, encourage those who are going through very challenging seasons. And I think in that in that challenge, you, we show up in ways that we maybe have seen demonstrated for us or are ways that seem to offer the potential to make the process more efficient. Um, but quite often, the, the words and the ways that people show up are less helpful than they would hope. So the best way that I can describe how we should show up with people who are going through challenging seasons is just be with. And I mean, we see that in the book of Job when his friends just showed up and sat with him in silence for seven days and just were with him in that deep, deep season of suffering without words. Um, for me personally, that was demonstrated through my best friend, Lila. 
she showed up when my husband was killed and her presence was so steadfast and reassuring. There weren't many words. When words were needed, she just said, Jesus, 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 knowing that there was power in the name. And when she showed up a year later, almost like deja vu, where we were walking through the funeral for my daughter, every time I would look at her and say, can you believe we're doing this again? Like, can you believe we have to do this again? This is so not fair. This is so hard. And she would just say, I know, I know, I know. And so her presence was so sweet and so steadfast, and she was just with. And Dr. Woltfell is one of the leading experts in grief, and he actually calls this the companioning philosophy. And he has 11 tenets of companioning that really express what this looks like to just be with. And it is about presence. It is not about trying to force a process or alleviate any type of suffering. Because the beauty of grief is that when it is processed appropriately, there is like a, a time when the, the weight of it and the depth of it begins to recede. And so um, just showing up and providing presence is really actually therapeutically even when we look at research about bereavement and how to counsel individuals through bereavement the common knowledge is that for the first year you just let them do what they need to do it's really about providing presence after a year we start exploring the possibilities of how to help them process through complicated bereavement Another thing that was really helpful to me is I had another friend named Amanda and one of the sweetest things she did for me is she would show up and wherever I was in the grief process, she would match me. So if she showed up and I was having a particularly sad day, she would say, I know, and her tears would come quickly and she would be in the sadness with me. And if she showed up and I was angry, she would just totally agree with me. I know this is not fair and, and match whatever that feeling was. If she showed up and I was having a really good day and I was especially aware of the goodness of God and the, the gratitude that I had in my life for, for what remained, she would match that joy perfectly. And what Amanda provided for me is such a safe space to be wherever I needed to be in the process. Um, and it was just a beautiful way of being with me. And what I found is that the first thing I want to tell somebody who is in deep grief is it won't always be this hard and it won't always be this heavy. And I think just knowing that there is a place in time where it won't be this hard or this heavy is enough to get them through the moment that they're in. And I, I was listening to Eric Gentry, Gentry not that long ago, a trauma 
specialist and he was saying the process of grief really does happen in waves and the way that we measure that that process is moving along is the individual can begin to call to mind the loved one with nostalgia and appreciation but the agony and the pain and the longing has started to wash away and that's where i feel like like i've gotten to in my own process is that there's so much nostalgia and appreciation and beauty for the relationships that i had but a lot of the heaviness the hardness the the deep painfulness has washed away and so the best advice i could give to anybody who wants to companion the bereaved is say their name speak of them don't avoid the subject but when the memories of loved ones come and the emotions that follow also appear just be with just hold space for it just be present to there is nothing better than the presence of another and at the beginning of my dis dissertation in fact i wrote a swedish proverb that felt very very poignant to me and it says shared joy is twice a joy but shared sorrow is half a sorrow and so that's kind of the best advice i can give anybody who wants to companion the bereaved that is that is a great um great advice and and, and as you were talking i can't help and think that that's also great advice for counseling for us as counselors you know being present just saying the name you know letting them know that that that, that you see them you know and, and you feel it and you're you're empathetic and all those things that you talked about i think really are, are things that i'm going to take away in terms of of the counseling profession um as we wrap up here you mentioned something earlier on and i truly believe this too that through your life experience you gain an, a level of expertise that some may not have and i have to imagine that that has impacted you both in terms of your research um your career and also probably how you how you operate as a counselor um can you just talk about a little bit of how that life experience influenced your research and and also how maybe the research impacted your journey of healing because i think they probably were 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 coexistent uh, through this journey so as we wrap up here could you just share a little bit about how that experience was sure i think it's incredibly important that we recognize as counselors and counselor educators that our life experiences and our research and academic expertise are very important to really holistically and comprehensively show up as the person of the therapist um, and I think they complement each other in a lot of ways. So not only do we have the experiential expertise to draw from that might deepen our empathy, might deepen our understanding of the complex nuances of different kinds of life experiences, 
Um, but also they need to be tempered and held tentatively because each individual is so unique. Their process is unique. Um, what they're going through is very, very unique. So I feel like the way that our life experiences and um, my research has informed my counseling process and my teaching process is um, I continue to pull from them as uh, resources and information, but I'm always holding those things tentatively as new research comes out and as new life experiences are um, are happening and as i'm hearing from the client their unique experience as well so it's kind of like this uh, backdrop i would say um i think it is important to remember that 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 these things are all supposed to inform um, but that they don't cloud our ability to be present and really listen to the individual sitting across from us or really read the research and the literature with that objective lens of trying to gain from it what it's really saying um, with with so that's definitely how i've used my research my life experience and all the continuing education that i have had as a um, practicing clinician in individual sessions and in um, the teaching profession. This this has been so helpful. I'm I'm sorry. I'm a little overwhelmed. Uh, you just your story is just impactful. Is is not even the word that begins to, to scratch the surface. And you know, while we were planning this time with you, I know that your husband's anniversary had passed too on February twenty first, twenty fourteen. Um, I saw on LinkedIn that, you know, Master Sergeant Joshua Gavilik, um had died that day uh, seven years ago. So uh, to have you here uh, has been a real gift. And, and yeah, I, ju I just I just want to honor him and, and your loss and then the loss of your, you know, your child and, and your two brothers. Um, yeah, it's just humbling to, to sit here with you. Um, but thanks for sharing. <laughs> and showing the joy in the midst of the suffering and loss and grief. It's been really edifying. Thank you so much for specifically mentioning his name. Mm. Mm. Amen. I really appreciate that. Yeah, I, I second that. Thank you so much. What a powerful story. And, and, you know, our listeners don't see this, they just hear it, but the, the smile, is, is something that, that I take away. And just to close up, I can't, I, I, I don't think I will, I will hear this verse the same way again. And I just want to close with this. And before I do, I thank our listeners for listening um, and hope you can continue to listen to us as we continue with additional episodes. And I'm just going to close with this verse again. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, that perseverance finishes its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything.